الجزيرة بودكاست Something exciting is happening in the world of food. Companies and governments are promising a new way of producing meat. Not in a pasture or a farm, but in a lab. It looks and apparently tastes just like the real stuff, but there is no slaughtering involved. Picture grilled chicken with crisscrossed grill marks tossed with sizzling corn and vegetables. But this meat has been grown in a lab. About 80 companies around the world are also trying to create similar products. Cultured meat, or lab meat, could solve issues of how we're all currently making and eating meat. And there are a lot of issues. Human-caused climate change and land use is making food more expensive, scarcer, and even less nutritious. A United Nations report is calling for swift action to cut emissions of methane, a greenhouse gas that's second only to carbon dioxide in driving global warming. The gas that bubbles from our stomachs and those of cows and sheep. But what exactly is lab meat? And is it what will solve the problems with industrial meat production now? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Lab-grown meat is growing in popularity. Governments have been offering subsidies. Big companies and venture capitalists are investing. The United States Food and Drug Administration approved lab-grown chicken from a company called Upside Foods back in November. On March 21st, the FDA approved lab-grown chicken from a second company, Good Meat. And while many of us haven't been able to sink our teeth in just yet, People in Singapore have had it since 2020, and they're giving it rave reviews. Oh my God. This is chicken. That's chicken. (laughs) That's chicken. I'm eating chicken. It's juicy. It's got the nice crisp on the outside. It's delicious. It doesn't look exactly like chicken. It looks a little bit more rubbery, if I'm honest, but it tastes damn good. The field of lab-grown meats began in 1999, but it didn't take off until a memorable press conference in 2013 when food critics ate the first lab-grown hamburger. At a news conference in London, scientists took cells from a cow and turned them into strips of muscle, which were then combined and made into a patty. And the results then were satisfactory. There's quite some intense taste. It's close to meat. It's not that juicy. But um, um, the consistency is perfect. There's a major controversy about what to call this. What do you consider this? Is this real meat? That's Julia Ranney, a research associate at the Center for Food Safety in Washington, D.C. She's been looking into lab-grown meat, and I had a lot of questions. So let's just dive right in. As you know... The U.S. Food and Drug Administration now says that lab-grown meat, and specifically poultry from a California company called Upside Foods, is now safe for humans to eat. So what exactly is lab-grown meat? How would you describe it? So the industry will describe it as though it's a very simple, easy concept. You just 
take meat cells, you put them in a Petri dish, and you have meat. I guess we should, right off the bat, make sure that listeners know this is not for vegans. This is not uh, plant-based meat. This is actual meat, right? Yes, I'm glad that you clarify that. In this, yes, there is an animal involved. Essentially, they biopsy an animal. So they take a needle and they extract muscle cells, typically. Mm-hmm. They add a mix of fluids that are meant to help these cells grow to a certain extent that then enables them to transform the cell from a muscle cell to a stem cell. Cells in our bodies all start out as stem cells. They're the universal material that can become any other kind of cell. In lab meat, stem cells mimic fat and muscle. It's basically what helps the meat grow. It's technology that's attracting a lot of money. According to the nonprofit Good Food Institute, global investments are at $2 billion into the industry as a whole. There's a lot of different investment, but primarily we're seeing investment from venture capitalists. So there's a lot of money going into that space. And I think there's a lot of excitement about the potential for this product to, you know, change the world. Um is how they would frame it. (laughs) But there's also investment from the meat industry, from Cargill, Tyson, who am I missing? JBS, the biggest protein company in the world. There's buying from them. Upside has raised more than $200 million from the likes of Bill Gates, Richard Branson, and food giants like Tyson and Cargill. A large part of this investment has to do with how meat can be made without slaughtering an animal, like those in more industrial farms. These farms have animals confined together for the sole purpose of becoming meat. And meat produced in these farms can lead to big issues. This is Uma Valetti, owner of Upside Foods, listing some of them in an interview with SOSV, a climate tech summit. Food safety, food security, things related to the downsides of current meat production, which could be intense confined animals that could increase the risk of many things, one of them including pandemics or zoonotic diseases, water use, resource use, greenhouse gases. Advocates against factory farms also say that it's not just harming the animals, but the environment too. Livestock globally makes up about 14% of total greenhouse gas emissions. Scientists say we may not have the land or the water to raise meat for everyone. And that's what brings us back to the U.S. FDA's approval of lab-grown chicken. California-based Upside Foods will be able to start selling its products once its facilities have been inspected by the Department of Agriculture. But for Julia, the researcher, the hype and the FDA's approval is not the full story, starting with the kind of approval it was. She says in past technology advances in food, Like genetic modification, the FDA required third-party investigation. In this case, there was no third party involved at all. The company gave the FDA their information, and the FDA said, we don't have any further questions. No problem. You have looked into the Food and Drug Administration's documents on Upside Food. What did you find out about the process of developing this lab-grown chicken? Yeah. So I've actually, for several years, been reading through different industry patents that are available online. There's there's only so much you can find because, of course, much of it is redacted. So a lot of the companies highlighted that they've created an animal-free serum. 
Here's Upside CEO Uma Valetti again. It comes from agricultural plants. You know, it could be corn, it could be other plants that people are just processing to make into powders like flour mills so that it can easily mix into the water so then the cells can start absorbing the nutrients. So while Upside says its cell feed or serum is animal-free, that might not apply for all kinds of lab meat from other companies besides Upside. Take, for example, lab-grown beef. Typically, the serum that they use in the beginning has conventionally been fetal bovine serum, which is basically you extract the blood from a fetus of a cow that was inside a female cow that they had to kill. Hmm. Is essentially what fetal bovine serum is. So the is. unborn calf of a pregnant yes, a pregnant cow. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Julia is also concerned about how the company's labs are preventing contamination. A major concern about this product is proper sterilization because you're dealing with ginormous fermentation tanks of a size we've never seen before used. And unlike an animal versus these meat cells, an animal has skin, an animal has an immune system. These cells don't have that. So what do you do? How do you protect them? To address that, the FDA's scientific memo for Upside Foods states that the company will be using antibiotics when initially taking the cells from chickens. But the memo does not include what those specific antibiotics are or what they do. We don't know if they're medically important. We don't know how much they need to use. We don't have any transparency about how, once they're in the fermentation tanks, how are they controlling potential buildup of bacteria, mycoplasma, prions, viruses, you know, how do you prevent this contamination? In a statement to the take, the FDA stated that it did not identify a basis for concluding that the production process would result in, quote, food that bears or contains any substance or microorganism that would adulterate the food, unquote. In other words, they found no reason to believe anything would lead to contamination. They also stated, quote, after our careful evaluation of the data and information shared by the firm, we have no further questions at this time about the firm's safety conclusion, unquote. But Julia does. We have no transparency about what else they're putting into this product. We have these meat cells. What if we get this product and it's just advertised as cell-cultured chicken and there's no list of the highly processed product you're actually getting? And what if you have an allergy to something specific and you don't get that transparency? What we do know is that it's not a battle between lab-grown meat or factory farms. We'll talk more about another option after the break. Hello, I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. We carry on exploring the lives of history's most notable figures, from Rosa Parks to Pol Pot. We meet the people who changed the way we think about our world and those who left it marked by their infamy. Hindsight from Al Jazeera, wherever you get your podcasts. So, Julia, there has been a lot of excitement around how this could reduce land usage and methane production that contributes to climate change, the environmental aspect of lab-grown meat. Is that the whole picture for you 
Are you excited about the environmental aspect of this? No. <laughs> um, I'm not because You're very I fun think, at parties, aren't you, Julia? <laughs> I'm a blast, yes, I would say. When it comes to land use, that would be the main one that these companies could tout, that land use would be reduced, because it just would. I mean, the amount of land used for meat production is extensive. The basic problem is just how much land and how many crops it takes to produce all the meat. Third of all the crops that people grow all across the world go to feeding animals. What was the biggest use of land in the U.S.? Cattle. About 41% was used for either grazing or to grow food for livestock. And there are other ways to reduce the harm of livestock land use that don't start in a lab. Phil Howard has been researching them. I'm a professor of community sustainability at Michigan State University, and I'm also a member of the International Panel of Experts on Sustainable Food Systems. Phil says talking about livestock farming only being harmful incorrectly centers the conversation towards the West. There are other parts of the world, sub-Saharan Africa, for example, where they're not yet to the point where they've highly industrialized meat production. And even in places like the United States and Europe, there are small but rapidly growing efforts to raise livestock in more sustainable ways. These ways of raising livestock might actually have some benefits to the environment. There are approaches to raising livestock that are more management intensive rather than input intensive, which means you're moving the livestock around, allowing vegetation to recover after grazing, and you actually can see more diversity in the grasses and other plants as a result of those types of management practices that can help build soil. But Phil says governments are opting into lab-grown meat as a shiny new solution over these existing ways. There are powerful lobbyists asking for subsidies for lab-grown meat. So that's why we see things that, are, that could be implemented right now are pushed aside in favor of buying into the belief that technologies that will someday be available will address these problems. And even with that push towards lab-grown meats, Phil has doubts that they'll replace the chicken and beef we're used to seeing at the grocery store. As chicken consumption has increased, it's simply been added on to existing beef consumption and pork consumption. So even though these products are being promoted as displacing, you know, conventional livestock, they may not actually do that. And one reason for that is lab-grown meats are expensive. Here's what Chief Operating Officer of Upside Foods, Amy Chen, had to say in an interview with The Wall Street Journal. We are not at the full level of scale that we would need to be to optimize and to really capture those efficiencies. So when we first launch, I would expect us to be at a premium price to things like organic or free range. She goes on to say that the cost will not be equal to the cost of, say, a chicken breast we would find now in supermarkets for another 10 to 15 years. With that timeline in mind, I wanted to ask Julia, the food safety researcher, what she's going to do when lab-grown chicken does hit the shelves. Would you? If you were offered a chicken nugget, would you taste it? No, because I've spent 
over a decade of my life reading about and learning about food ingredients in the food system and learning about synthetic biology specifically. And for me, there's so little research to confirm whether or not these products are safe that I don't want to risk anything. I would need the companies to be more transparent about what they are or are not using. I mean, I will just emphasize again, this is a totally new industry. So there's just so many questions to be asked and so few answers. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Chloe K. Lee with Miranda Lynn, Nagin Oliai, Amy Walters, Ashish Malhotra, Khalid Sultan, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is The Take's sound designer. Munira Al-Dosari and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back. <laughs>